0: You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
1: From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure, the podcast in which I read Jude the Obscure out loud, and comment on it as I go. I am your host, your friend, your literary mansplainer-in-chief, Michael Ian Black. I come to you today in duress. Last time we got together, I told you that my shitty little rat dog, Jack Jack, was having Uh, some issues. And I explained that we took him to the vet, that the vet said it, uh, they don't know, but it didn't seem like a big deal. And now I, I I don't, I mean, and now, uh, Jack, Jack is dead. That is, that is the simple fact of the matter. And I, I felt like I owed all of you the story of that because he has been by my side, literally, throughout this podcast. And I have told you the story of our adopting him. And I have uh, posted pictures of him. And I have complained about him, and now he is no more." He started experiencing this kind of wheezing cough a while ago. And we thought little of it. And then it seemed like it was getting worse, so we took him to the vet, like I said. The vet basically uh, said, he seems fine. And then we were supposed to take my son to college about a week ago or so. And this is the period when Hurricane Dorian was making its way up the Atlantic seaboard. And my son is going to be attending school along the Atlantic seaboard and everything was essentially delayed for several days while the hurricane worked itself out. And so we had to reschedule our flights for this past Sunday. I'm speaking to you now on a Wednesday. I've just returned from taking my son to college. And the night, Friday night, Martha, my wife, uh, is telling me that she thinks Jack-Jack is getting worse, and she's going to take him to the vet on Saturday, and I say, you're nuts. There's nothing wrong with the dog. The vet told me there was nothing wrong with the dog. The vet gave me some antibiotics. Let's give them a chance to work. And I was annoyed because I had just spent $400 at the vet for them to tell me nothing is wrong with the dog. Not that nothing is wrong, but that they didn't see anything obvious. He seemed to be more or less okay. Martha is persistent. That Saturday morning, she gets up with Jack-Jack. She takes him back to the vet. The vet is closed. So she takes him 40 minutes south to this kind of pet ER run by the University of Florida. Cornell or Cornell University, whatever they're called. And the people at the pet ER say, we're going to have him checked out by our fucking cardiologist and our fucking, whatever, pulmonologist and all this shit. And all I'm hearing are dollar signs, as my wife is telling me this. But then she says, they are not sure if he's going to make it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? he's fine. We just brought him into the vet. He's fine. Well, they put Jack in this special little kennel that is oxygenated because he can't breathe. This is what we're discovering is. And you'd think you would know this. You would think you would know. And I didn't. I knew that he was having trouble at times. But I thought, but it seemed like when he was not excited or was not, uh, you know, adrenalized that his breath was calm. And that's why I was basically making light of it the last time we talked. I thought maybe he's just getting old, you know, just he's a little dog. Maybe he's getting old. He's starting to wheeze a little bit. So he's in basically he's in a hyperbaric chamber at Cornell. And they're keeping an eye on him. And a few hours later we get a call. They don't know if he's gonna make it long enough for the doctors to even look at him because it's Saturday. He's like deteriorating in front of their in front of their eyes. They're like, you have to get down here. He may die. So we obviously go down there. We go into You know, the special clean room that they have there with the oxygenated kennels. And there's Jack Jack in a little kennel. And he they won't let him come out, but there's little holes that you can latch and and unlatch, and we can stick our hands in and pet him and talk to him. And he in and you can see now, like his rib cage is like just it's fluttering, you know, just He can't breathe. And we're like, what is happening? How did this take a turn for the worse so quickly? And they've done a chest X, ray And he has some sort of respiratory infection. And then a secondary kind of infection on top of that. And, but they don't know if it's fungal or if it's bacterial. We don't know that he's going to survive. So we're like, what can we even do? They're like the first thing you, you know, there's a couple options. The first is you can put him on what I think what they call high flow oxygen, which is I think exactly what it sounds like. They, they increase his oxygen in tank through what means. I don't know. I don't know how they do this. You know, I feel like, I mean, in my head, they're like putting little tubes up his nose and hooking him up to a, a oxygen tank. The other thing they said they could do is put him on a ventilator, like the way you would, you know, put somebody who, a, a human up to a ventilator, you know, you put them into a kind of, you know, comatose state and, 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 the, and the ventilator does the breathing for you. They said, if this was a person, he would already be on a ventilator. We would already have done this. But they said there's complications with that. And he, he may not even survive that. And they're basically just trying to buy time until they can kind of figure out what's wrong. And they're like, but, but even if you do that, you know, the, the, the success rate is very low. So we put him on the high flow oxygen and we, you know, we, we pet him and we tell him we love him and we do everything you're supposed to do. Thinking to ourselves, he's going to be okay maybe lying to ourselves that he's going to be okay. I don't know. But, you know, he's looking at us with his big eyes and they're kind of, they're a little glassy because I think he was on a sedative to keep him calm. And he didn't seem to be in obvious distress other than the shallow breathing. And, she, and the, the, the uh, vet said that he was behaving you know he was he was a little more energetic when we were there but that he'd been pretty listless before and they seemed to be anxious for us to kind of get out of there so that they could start whatever they were going to do and our son is supposed to go to college the next day and we're going to be gone for like three days we're in our own anxiety about that about taking him to college the dog appears to be at best very ill and we can't even be there and i say well i'll i'll stay i'll stay to deal with the dog and martha says yeah, she'll stay to deal with the dog and i say oh, i can stay to deal with the dog and we're just trying to get through the next couple of days with the dog the phone rings at around midnight and we know immediately you know what's happening she says Martha, Jack is fading. The high oxygen isn't accomplishing what we wanted to accomplish. He's he's fading and what do you want us to do? Can you get down here? And this is an hour away. And we have to be up early to take our son to college. And you can imagine, I'm sure you can imagine, the the kind of head spitting predicament we're in here. We're, we're, and Martha says, I don't think we can get there. And the vet says, I don't even know that Jack will make it till you get here. And the vet says, what do you want us to do? And this is the moment that every dog owner of any duration recognizes. That moment where the vet is basically saying, Do you want us to euthanize your dog? And we're just like, what the fuck happened? And I feel especially guilty because I was being so dismissive of the whole thing. I was like, he's fine. I just paid $400 to find out that he's fine. And it's midnight. We're going to the airport a few hours from then. And we say, yeah, put him down. Put him down. And we're not even going to be there. Let's take a break.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: Hi, we're back. Uh, I've just been talking and thinking about my shitty little rat dog, Jack-Jack. And I remember the last time I had to put down a pet, it was our dog, Lily. Uh, We had Jack-Jack and we still have Oli. But before Oli was our dog named Lily. He was another white lab. And she got to be very old and she was suffering. We probably should have put her down well before the time when we actually did. And we took her to that same place at Cornell and we were with the kids. This is about five years ago. And I sat with her, you know, as they injected her and put her out of her misery. Cause she really was, she was, I mean, at that point she was literally dying. I mean, she was, she was bleeding out internally. I mean, Jack Jack was literally dying too, drowning essentially. And before Lily, there was a dog named Maddie. The first dog we had together as a couple before we had kids and Maddie, we bought at a pet shop, which you should never do. And we knew that. And the reason we bought Maddie at a pet shop was out of spite, essentially, because I had decided I wanted a dog. We were living in New York city. I decided I wanted a dog and I was willing to commit to a dog and I wanted to adopt a dog. And I went to the pet shelter which was all the way across town. And I said, I'm here to adopt a dog, thinking I'm being a magnanimous human, thinking I'm doing a good thing. And the person at the shelter said, did you bring bank statements? And I'm like, why would I have brought bank statements? And they're like, we want to know that you're financially capable of taking care of this dog whatever dog. I mean, I didn't even get to see the dogs. I didn't, you know, there was no specific dog at hand. And I said, I didn't think to bring bank statements, but I happened to have with me an ATM receipt because I just gotten that cash, which shows my balance. And I had a couple tens of thousands of dollars sitting in my checking account. And I said, This is you know, this is my current checking account. I can take care of a dog. And she said, we can't accept that. That's not good enough. So you need a bank statement or we're not even going to let you in to see the dogs. And I was so mad that we literally walked to a pet store, saw this adorable white lab at the pet store and bought her. And that was Maddie. And two and a half years later, she developed cancer because she came from a fucking puppy mill. And we tried everything we could to keep her alive. We tried doggy chemo and all the stuff you do. And it didn't help. And one day it was clear she was dying. And we, she had had a phobia of getting into the car. Because every time we got into the car, we were taking her to be painfully injected with chemotherapy and whatever they were doing to her. And we didn't want her last minutes be spent afraid so we found a vet who could come to the house to kill your dog and we brought the vet in and i i laid with maddie on the floor of of our family room this is in la and i watched as the doctor gave the dog a sedative and then I watched as the doctor took out whatever poison they have and I watched the liquid go into her paw and I saw the life begin to fade from her eyes and I, I fled the room. I could not, I couldn't sit there and watch the dog die. And I ran into the other room just weeping, weeping. And Martha was in the other room because Martha couldn't watch either. And a few minutes later, the the vet came out and said it was done. and, And that was the first time we had to put a dog down. And then the second time with Lily, we were at Cornell and I vowed to myself that I would be stronger this time. And I would be there through Lily's final moments. And I was. And I just stroked her as she lay on the table and another doctor came with another set of drugs and more needles and the sedative went in and I watched her get sleepy and then the, the other drugs went in and, and I watched her die, you know, and I tried to hold eye contact with her as long as I could, or as long as she could, I guess. And I felt good that I'd been able to be there for her and do that. And now it's midnight last Saturday and they're saying we don't know that Jack will survive even if you do come and we're saying we're taking our son to college in the morning and yes we we need you to put our dog down then she hung up the phone and you know we sat there in the bedroom for several minutes and the phone rang again and they said Jack Jack is dead i mean they didn't say it that way i'm sure and then our son came in he'd well he 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 had gotten up i guess to go to the bathroom or something and he didn't know you know he didn't know that all this was going on he knew jack was sick obviously and knew that jack was in great danger but did not know that this was happening because the kids were in bed you know and we told him and he was upset and As we were. And, you know, that's a hell of a way to start your college adventure. And so the next morning, on the way to the airport, we stopped at Cornell, where Jack was basically laying in state. And they knew he was, they knew. We were coming and Martha wanted to say goodbye and I couldn't, you know, I just felt like I can't, I can't go look at a dead dog. I can't. And there's no point. But Martha wanted to do it. So we stopped. And Martha got out and went to see Jack and paid her respects, I guess, and said goodbye. And I just couldn't. And she said when she came back that it was the way you always hear of the dead described that he looked like he was asleep, peaceful, but cold to the touch. And it was a, (laughs) it was a difficult morning and morning uh, again upon and we took our son to college and we moved him in and we were there another day and we fretted over him and tutted over him. Martha much more than me because I, uh, because I felt like, God, oh, geez, I remember when I was taken to college and all I wanted was for my mom to leave <laughs> So I could start what felt like my life. I just wanted to start my life. And I think our son felt, I don't know that he felt similarly, but I think there, by the end of day two, I could sense that there was a little bit of, okay, it's time for you to go. And it's time for another very short, short break. back it's been a challenging few days here in the wilds of Connecticut and it is a it is a funny thing the way life reminds you of who is in charge and it isn't you it is never you it is all the machinations of unseen forces whirling about you and you are just there observing being thrown around and doing your best and it is time for this check-in to end and it is time for some goodbyes you know I'm saying goodbye to my shitty little rat dog Jack Jack I am renaming the reading throne, the Jack-Jack Memorial reading throne within the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library. And we're saying goodbye to our kids' childhood, you know? I mean, there's no, there's no line, really, that separates childhood from adulthood, but there are moments where you just take stock, you know? And so, I'm taking stock. And next time we'll return to the book, a book that I will now forever associate with my dog and with this, this unsettled period. But every period's unsettled. That's what life is. Because once it's settled, and it's not life anymore. So, that is what happened this past week. A difficult week. I hear my dog, Oli, barking in the background. You probably can't hear it. He's barking at something. I don't think it's the ghost of Jack-Jack. It's probably a squirrel. So we'll pick up again. We'll pick up again next time. And so, uh, I will say goodbye to you from the Jack-Jack Memorial Reading Throne within the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut. And until next time, I wish you adieu. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. For more information on Obscure, visit our show page at Earwolf.com. And subscribe, won't you, in your favorite podcast app like Stitcher or Apple Podcasts so you do not miss one exciting episode of Jude the Obscure. Obscure is produced by jennifer brennan mary shimkin and robin lynn who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by craig Wedron. special thanks to everyone at earwolf especially chris bannon colin anderson and the earwolf engineer team of brett morris sam Kiefer, and ryan connor if you would like information about sponsoring our show email hello at midroll.com from the wilds of connecticut i'm michael ian black